As we continue our uh, Advent series uh, this season, um, we're going to be today, we're going to be again, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 and Luke chapter 2. So I would encourage you to go ahead and start turning um, in those two places. Um, if you have a copy of Scripture with you, if you don't, I'd encourage you to grab one of those black hardback Bibles in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your very own, consider that a gift from us today. Uh, in fact, let's, let's call it a Christmas gift. And um, feel free to take that with you uh, today. As we uh, continue our, our season, we are looking at the promises of God and how these promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. Last week we looked at this theme of hope. And we discovered a man named Simeon who had faithfully waited on the arrival of the promised Savior, had waited his whole life. In fact, he was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Savior. We learned how our waiting is not idle laziness, but rather it is an active preparation that is filled with hope. And today we turn our attention to the second theme of Advent, which is, which is peace. You know, it can feel like there's not a lot of peace in the Christmas season. This is a time of year where it feels like everything gets turned up to an 11, right? Because an 11 is one more past 10. Look at the Look at the images that we see every year of people fighting each other in Best Buys and Walmarts and I don't even think we have KB toys anymore. I know we don't have Toys R Us's, but but fighting each other for for the the new TV or whatever the latest hottest toy is this season. We see people hitting each other, punching each other, biting each other, slapping each other trampling over each other. I, in fact, did not hear this year of anyone being trampled to death in a Black Friday morning stampede, but if it, if it was, that's the first year in a long time that I haven't heard of somebody getting killed Christmas shopping. You know, that's not very, as my mother would say, that's not very Christmassy. It's not very peaceful. Look at how this anger and frustration is juxtaposed to the joy and peace of the Christmas season. You know, I I think every family, I think every individual wants to experience peace at Christmas, but too often conflict is what is present. You know, much of the Bible, much of Scripture was written by people who found themselves in the midst of conflict and struggle as well. In the New Testament, we see the Gospels being written by followers of Jesus in the years after his immediately following his death, being persecuted by the people around them. We see the epistles being written by, by the apostles in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' death and resurrection and in a community that's persecuting them. The last book of Scripture that we're going to be spending some time studying on Wednesday nights in starting in January, Revelation. Revelation is written to a community that's coming under intense government-sponsored persecution. That's the New Testament. Much of the Old Testament written by people who are 
finding themselves under siege by the surrounding nations who are trying to, to figure out how to differentiate themselves. Look at how much conflict there is between God's people and the people surrounding God's people. God's people who are enslaved in Egypt, then redeemed into the promised land, can't keep their act together, constantly under siege and eventually carried off into exile in Babylon. Enslaved to powerful empires and enemies. The Old Testament writers, just as the New Testament writers are, are crying out to God to bring them peace. This is one of the prophetic promises that we see in the book of Isaiah, is this need for a new leader who would come and be the prince of peace. God's people believed that God was faithful and that he always kept his promises, and so after receiving this promise, they faithfully and eagerly awaited God to rescue them. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse Eight. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on His shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And we turn now to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. If you've ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, this should sound familiar. In the same region shepherds were keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them... Oh, nope, I was only reading through 14. See, I get so excited. Folks, this is the word of God. Read it. Believe it. And live it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we approach you this morning, as we approach you in this season hungry and yearning for peace, I just pray that you would give us your peace, that you would deliver to us the peace that only comes from your presence, that we would come to know and experience that each and every day. And so God, as we open your word to study it this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. And so in Isaiah, we, we see this promise of God. We see that there is going to be this, this coming ruler who will usher in a new government which will have no end. You know, we often live in this idea 
that the institutions and the things that we're a part of are never going to end. Right? But nations come and go. Governments come and go. Churches come and go. Clubs come and go. Schools. But Isaiah, these words in Isaiah promise us that that God is going to bring a ruler who will reign forever. We see that there's this child that's going to be born, a, a son who will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. A few years ago, through Advent, we looked at those four names of God and what they mean. See, this was not the reality of the experience of the people of Judah at the time that Isaiah was writing this, but it gave them peace and it gave them hope. And it reminded them that God had not forgotten them. You know, just as there was very little peace surrounding the people of Judah when Isaiah was preaching and testifying, there's little peace around us. Just... Turn the news on for 15 minutes and see that all around the world there is struggle and there is pain. There's struggle and pain right here. You know, one of the things that's one of the most beautiful doctrines of the church to me is a doctrine that we call common grace. Common grace. And what common grace means means that when God created the world, when He created the world through the Word, we see that in John 1, and we see that the Word was Jesus, that when God created the world, He put so much of Himself into it that even those who are not in covenant relationship with Him can still see the basics of right and wrong. This is what Paul talks about in, the, in Romans chapter 1 and 19 and 20. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. He's not talking about the people of God. He's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about people that are in covenant relationship with Him. He's talking about everybody. Everybody can see evidence of God about them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since when, Paul says? Since the beginning of the world. Since the creation of the world. Being understood through what He has made. Through creation, we can see. As a result, Paul continues, people are without excuse. What this means is that even without Jesus, everyone in the world can see that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And we see that, right? I mean, this is, this is why you end up with so many different religions in the world. They're all trying to figure out and talk about and fix what's broken. And there's a basic morality that we all see and understand. Until fairly recently, pretty universally we could agree that murdering people was wrong right whether you were in the middle east people of the book whether you were in sub-saharan africa whether you were in east asia whether you were in northern europe you could see basic morality 
And it's a gift. It's all grace from God. It's common grace that's available to all of us. And so we look around and we see the brokenness in the world. We see you know, lack of water, clean water, and clean food in far-off countries. And that's why we do things like the gift tree from Compassion and the, the in-gathering for Lottie. We see that there's this brokenness out there. We see it in unrest in our own country. We see it in global pandemics and in world wars. Sometimes we see it in our own families when people get to be at odds with each other. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that among all of the people here, there are at least a handful of you that there is some member of your family that you have not spoken to in a long time. A relationship that's broken. And we see and we understand that this is, that this is wrong. And whether we see this near or far, we can relate to the fact that that the people of God desire for there to be one who would rule over all the world, who would bring order to the chaos, healing to the brokenness. We long to see peace come into the world, and we long to see God fulfill His promise of one who would rule with love and compassion. We listened to how Lucas ended the prayer this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That is our prayer. Because we know that when Christ comes, His rule will be one of love and compassion. And this was the promise that was given to the people of Israel through Isaiah and through the other prophets. And when Jesus shows up, though, He shows up in the most unlikely of places, and his birth is initially proclaimed to the most unlikely of people. There were in those days shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, you know, oftentimes I think when we think of shepherds in the Christmas story, we think of cute little boys and their daddy's bathrobes with sticks at the Christmas pageant, right? Cute little boys whose moms have scrubbed them down and slicked down their hair and made sure the stuff behind their ears is washed out and the bathrobe is clean. And That's not who shepherds were. They were nomadic. They lived what we would call today off-grid. They traveled from pasture to pasture to see their sheep graze in it. They were, for the most part, single young men without children, and they were not clean. They probably smelled bad. These were hard-scrabble, blue-collar folks who worked hard and long to earn a living. Many people in polite society considered them second class and untrustworthy. I want you to think back to some of the the TV shows and movies that you grew up with, the westerns. And think about the worst stereotypes of cowboys coming in off the range. They've taken their 
herd up the trail from Texas to Dodge City. They're, they're coming into town and everybody gets a little concerned. Right? They're dirty and they're dusty. They haven't seen the barber in a while. They probably are a little rough around the edges. You can blame it on their roots. They showed up in boots and they ruined the black tie affair. That's who shepherds were in the first century. And yet it is these men who are the first to hear the heavens proclaim that Jesus had arrived. I want us, want us to, let's put it into a context that maybe feels a little more comfortable for us. I want you to think about this. In 1880, we hear this story about how a group of men were bringing their herd from Texas to Dodge City to get on the rails. And as they were headed into Dodge, the heavens opened up and the angels came and proclaimed that Christ had been born. And so these men pack up and they ride into Dodge to find this baby. If we heard that story today, we would probably think, huh, somebody got into the... uh, whiskey ration a little early. But that's, that's who these men were. And see, it was proclaimed to them first because the peace of Christ is for everyone. The peace of Christ is for everyone. There's a sense from the very beginning of this Christmas story that the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that arrives with the birth of Christ is not just for those who are perfect, who are perfected, who live in the nice houses. For everybody. It's not for those who had room for them in the inn in Bethlehem. It's for everybody. It's not for those who worked a 9-to-5 job Monday through Friday and had the weekend off so they could come to church. The birth of Christ, the peace of Christ, is for everybody. It wasn't for those who had the money to make sure that they had the best, cleanest, nicest robes to wear to worship. The peace of Christ was for everybody. Whether they were shepherds or whether they were kings. The peace of Christ is for everyone. Because the peace that will come from Christ's leadership and rule is not one for those who are already in power, but it's for those who are scratching and clawing just to get through another day. I think many of us, if we truly understand what Christ has done for us, and we truly understand who we are as sinners standing in front of a perfect and just God, we are going to feel unworthy of the peace that is found in Jesus. If we're honest with ourselves, we're going to find ourselves unworthy because, brothers and sisters, we are unworthy. But here's the thing. It's okay. You're in good company. Because the message of peace is for you. 
an angel of the Lord appears to these men out in the field. And their first response is absolute terror. I, I don't particularly blame them. The, it says that the glory of God shone all around them. The glory of God is enough to, to, to bring terror. When Isaiah himself is confronted with the glory of the God in the temple, what does he say? Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, living in a nation of unclean lips. But there's also, there's also the reality of if we take biblical descriptions of angels seriously, that's not what showed up. That's a lovely representation of an angel, but it's not biblical. Go back and read some of the descriptions of angels that are found in the Bible. Circles on circles and eyes all over and multiple wings and uh, terrifying. And what are the first words that the angel brings to the shepherd? Fear not. Do not be afraid. The first words, the first words of the proclamation of God's arrival among his people are words of peace. Do not be afraid. Though you are facing a painful situation, do not be afraid. You may be facing an unfavorable diagnosis. Do not be afraid. Maybe you're struggling to restore that relationship that's broken. Do not be afraid. Maybe you're just anxious about the circumstances that swirl all around you. Do not be afraid. Because the angel brings good news of great joy to whom? All One of the things that I really don't like is when someone comes up to me and very sweetly says, I need to talk to you. Can I meet with you later this week? Or, I, I really want to go out for coffee later this week. Can we do that? Because what that does is that drives my anxiety up. What are you going to say to me that you can't say to me right now? What, what bad news are you going to drop in my lap? All of those worst-case scenarios begin running through my head. Here's the truth. 99 times out of 100, it's, I wanted to grab a cup of coffee and catch up. If you want to grab a cup of coffee and catch up, tell me, I want to grab a cup of coffee and catch up. Please? If you want to go out for lunch and just relax. Or maybe you want to go out to lunch and you want to talk about something. Say, hey, I want to go out to lunch and I want to talk about X. Please? Please. Because A, it'll give me a heads up. It'll let me know what it's about. And even if it's negative, I can, I can prepare myself and I can be ready to hear you and ready to, to respond to you from a place of peace and not fear and anxiety. Maybe you could use some good news today because your spirit doesn't know peace. The arrival of Jesus gives us good news. And the good news is this. Brothers and sisters, you have not been forgotten by God. 
No matter where you are, no matter what your circumstance is, no matter how bad it seems, you have not been forgotten by God. And in fact, God has come to be with you in the midst of your struggle. God God came. He was born in the city of David, and He is the Messiah, and He is the Lord. He is in charge. He is the King. He's the one you have been waiting for, and He has not forgotten you. There's this idea of positive and negative peace. We may have talked about this before. Positive and negative peace. Negative peace is the absence of something. So a negative peace would be the absence of conflict. And oftentimes, this is what we mean when we say peace, right? Two nations sign a peace treaty with each other. It's a negative peace. It's an absence of conflict. They've decided to to stop trying to give each other death. But positive peace is the presence of something. Positive peace... Is the presence of something. Often we say that it's the presence of, of justice. Isaiah talks about justice in that passage that we read today. But I would, I would say that true positive peace isn't even the presence of justice, although that is better than a purely negative peace. Positive peace is the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the, it's the presence of God. Specifically, God in Christ. The peace that Jesus brings into our lives is not necessarily the absence of trouble, but instead it is the confidence that we are not alone. We don't have to sit there for four or five days from the conversation about we need to sit and have some coffee to having the coffee in anxiety. It's it's the opportunity to rest and know that Christ is with us. the kind of peace that comes with the fulfilled promise that looks maybe a little different than what we may have expected. We can experience true peace in the midst of chaos when we recognize that peace is not about our circumstances, but it's about the one who is faithful to walk with us even through the most difficult of times. That first Christmas morning, the angels bring good news. A child has been born in Bethlehem in the city of David, and he will be a better king who will rule and who will reign and who will bring peace. As opposed to the kings before that had brought conflict, go back, read in 1 Samuel what Samuel tells to the people when the people decide that they want a king. What Samuel tells them that a king is going to bring them. He's going to bring them war. He's going to bring them death. He's going to bring their sons being drafted into the military. He's going to bring their, bring their daughters being used. But the heavenly king brings peace. This king is going to be better even than David. Because see, it's God who's come. I, 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 this description of what they're going to find, they're going to find 
They're not going to find a, a prince in his splendor. What are they going to find? They're going to find a baby, a real baby. And you know how he's a real baby? Because he's wrapped in clothes. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. I did not know until about five months ago how jerky babies are. I, I mean physically, not like, you know, he's a jerk. He's not a, well, there are moments. But he's not a jerk. He's, he's jerky. You put him down to sleep and he jerks himself awake. And yet, what do you do? You swaddle him. You wrap him up tight so he won't jerk himself awake. The baby that came, that was born, that sat in that manger in Bethlehem was a real baby. I love away in a manger. I love away in a manger. But the second verse of away in a manger treads dangerously close to heresy. The baby Jesus cried. Because he was a baby. He was a human baby. He was God in the flesh, fully God, but also fully man. And when he was hungry, he cried. And when he needed his diaper changed, he cried. The presence of God tells us that God has thrown his lot in with us, that he's moved into the neighborhood. In, in John 1, when we say that he dwelt among us, the word there is the tabernacle. He pitched his tent among us. He came to, to live among us. Peace comes not from a mortal man, but from God. And what happens? The, the angels have this, this song that they sing. Verses 13 and 14. There was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people whom he favors. You want to know peace? Receive God's favor. You want to know peace? Seek it from God, not from anywhere else. The story of the Bible reveals that the most important place where we need to experience peace is not within the relationships and the circumstances around us. The greatest need that we have for peace is between us and a holy God. Paul tells us again in Romans that the rule that, govern, that governs over us is the rule of sin and it stirs chaos and conflict within us. But when we find ourselves lost in sin, our spirits are at odd with God's. We don't submit to Him and we won't submit to Him because we think we know better. After all, we've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We get to, we get to call the shots. We get to decide what's good and what's not. And so we will not submit to Him and we, and we, and we find ourselves in conflict. Every conflict that we have in the world springs from this headwaters our conflict with God. We're not at war with one another because we think that somebody else gets to call the shot. We're at war with one another because we think we know what's best. The birth 
of this promised king is the coming of a new rule over the entire world. And it begins inside our hearts. This baby, this tiny baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes, who was laid in a manger, this baby who I have come over the last few years to believe his mother really did stand over him asking, who are you? Over the last few years, I've really come to believe that maybe Mary didn't know everything. Yes, Gabriel told her who she was, but I think asking Mary, did you know, is a, a good reminder that this tiny baby who, who grew super fast and who before she knew it had, had little teeth on the bottom coming in and who before she knew it could, could hold his own bottle and sit up and, and, and who could drool a lot. This baby would grow up to offer himself on the cross as an atonement for my sin and for your sin and for Mary's sin and for the shepherd's sin. The peace that we find at Christmas comes from submitting to the kingship of Christ. Because it reorients our hearts and it makes us friends of God. And so that the world may be in chaos around us, we find comfort and confidence in knowing that we have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and that He is with us. His presence in our lives brings us peace. And so today, maybe you recognize that the reason that there is no peace in your heart is because you have not made peace with God. That peace is available to you. Because of God's grace, we can, in faith, trust Jesus with all of our lives as we come to this table. We come to this table in remembrance of what he has done for us. We come to this table in proclamation of of what he has done for us. We come to this table to have a a, a real, tangible reminder of what has been done for us so that we can have peace. So that we can be friends with God. At the other end of Jesus' life. Again, At night, Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room. They gathered together. And as the meal was getting started, Jesus took the bread. 